Welcome to this week's Energy Show. This week we're going to be talking about the politics of clean energy. Basically, I'm going to wade into an opinionated minefield. So probably half of our listeners will be happy and the other half will think I'm a nut. You're not supposed to talk about religion or politics unless it's some kind of you know talk radio show. We're just an energy show, but there's so much happening in energy with regards to politics. So we're going to dig in. Now, I also did a show recently about the Pope's environmental encyclical. So kind of in one way, we covered uh, religion as far as I'm concerned. So what the heck? Now let's wade into politics. In particular, we're going to talk about the proposals and the posturing that's happening among candidates on the Republican and the Democratic side as we get into this presidential election cycle. Now, we're at a very early stage and the politicians are just kind of testing the waters. And the most important thing for these presidential politicians and candidates is they want to make sure that their party's nominee. So they're going to be trying to keep their base happy, trying to get that nomination. And then what inevitably happens as we get into the race is the positions tend to move towards the center. So I'm going to dig in and just full disclosure, somewhat biased about this. And not only am I biased in terms of in favor of clean energy, but I'm also in California. So a little bit of a left coast perspective here. But it's valuable because I've had the opportunity over the last 15 years to see how effectively rooftop solar works, how it grows from basically zero market share to where you know you can see maybe one in 20 houses having rooftop solar on them. So it's really starting to take off and work. And the reasons why is it's saving money for people. The systems are working. They're exceeding the warranty terms. The customers are happy. They're recommending to their friends that they get solar. And we're creating a lot of jobs. And as you may have heard, there's more people working in the solar industry right now in California than in the entire public utility industry in the state. It's probably, I think, altogether in the country, about 200,000 jobs in solar. And it's way more than in the coal industry. So it is creating a lot of jobs. And you look at how that ramp is going to continue. It's, it's going to grow. We're going to be um, you know, half a million jobs in a few years. And that's a pretty significant political force. I do fully understand how fossil fuel companies and their value chain want to maintain their business. I mean, after all, the obligation of somebody running a, a business, especially a public business, is that they've got to increase their profits and show a good return to shareholders. So these fossil fuel companies are going to fight any competitive threat, whether it's um, another source of energy or you know just even regular competitors in their field. But now that they're seeing is that there's a lot of competition coming from solar. And it's not just the fossil fuel companies. It's the, the companies that are involved in the value chain. I mean, just looking at the very end of the value chain, the utilities are now really concerned about how uh, rooftop solar is negatively affecting their bottom line. And, uh, you know, we're going to see a big battle over the next few months in California where there's uh, proposals to basically change net metering to such a degree that it's almost going to kill it. I mean, literally, we're looking at you know, our customers right now have paybacks in the six to eight range, and those paybacks are going to go up to 20 years if the utilities' proposals for net metering really go through. And I'm going to digress here very briefly, but this is just kind of late-breaking news, but they're talking about reimbursement rates of less than 10 cents a kilowatt hour compared to probably 20 to 25, as most of our customers are getting here in Silicon Valley. And they're talking about adding a fixed charge to every bill. So quick back of the envelope calculation, your payback goes from six to nine years. 
maybe up to 30 years, and that's just going to kill it. Very confident that just because of the support that solar has and that the fact that it's just so good for the environment, that's going to change, but it's going to be a big battle. So, you know, when I talk about a big battle, it's important to know how much money really influences politics. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise to anybody that it's been in Sacramento or Washington, D.C. or any other place where there's lobbying going on. But the incumbent interests, the businesses mostly, and, you know, other interests, are able to sway the opinions of politicians. And there's a lot of donations go on. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. What's interesting is that the amount of clean energy money that flows into politics is probably like one-tenth. It used to be a hundredth, but it's probably one-tenth or less than the money that's being contributed by the fossil fuel industry. So still very, very major underdogs, but the political cloud is growing steadily. So without further ado, we're going to look at three relatively recent announcements about the political party's clean energy plans. The first is Obama's clean power plan that was just introduced. The second is candidate Hillary Clinton's 500 million solar panel plan, and she wants to put 500 million solar panels in by the end of 2021, which is pretty enormous. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Republican Party's energy plans. So as it should come to no surprise, but as usual, these positions of the parties are just, they're so diametrically opposed that you kind of wonder if they're talking about the same thing. Both parties are generally in favor of the environment, you know, that they like apple pie too. Everybody wants more good jobs. Everybody wants cheaper electricity. And the parties want better economic conditions for everyone, right? That's great. But when you drill down and you look at specifically what they're looking for, the Democrats are talking about improving the health of people, less asthma and lung disease by having cleaner air. So they're very specifically linking clean air to asthma and lung disease. In terms of the clean power plan that Obama's talking about, he says that it's going to save the average family $85 a year on their electric bill. Well, that's a savings. That's great. You know, he also talks about how the solar industry is creating jobs 10 times faster than the rest of the economy. And, you know, if these plans continue, that rate of increase is going to be pretty significant. And, you know, we always need good jobs. And these are good, well-paying jobs. They're not going to go away for a long time. And he's also talking, the Democrats are also talking about how poor people are disproportionately affected by the pollution. A lot of these dirty power plants are in neighborhoods that are poor. And some of these people, kids are particularly suffering from asthma and other conditions. And it's not good. Clean the air, it's going to be better. I mean, we just know that for a fact. Cleaner air is just better for your long-term health. Now, on the other hand, the Republicans are not talking about pollution and the air as a problem. They're not saying they want bad air, but they're not saying that the air is a problem at all. It's just kind of conspicuously ignored. They specifically say that these plans for renewable energy are job killers. Now, they're talking about job killers perhaps in the fossil fuel industry, but they're not netting it out with the jobs that are that are built. And, you know, as I mentioned, there's more jobs in solar than there is in coal. So, you know, yes, we lost some coal jobs, but we gained a lot more solar jobs. They're complaining and pointing out that their interpretation of the Obama's clean power plan is it's going to make electric rates go up. 
And because mainly because those rates are going to go up, it's going to be worse for poor people. So, you know, we got Democrats saying the air is bad and we're going to fix that. It's going to be good for poor people. We're going to create more jobs. We're going to save people money. And the Republicans are saying exactly the opposite. Like, who's right? So let's kind of dig into the details of what these plans really are trying to accomplish. So Obama's Clean Power Plan, it, it spells out dramatic improvements in the emissions from now over the next 15 years. It wants to cut emissions 32% from the levels that we had in 2005 by 2030. And pointing out that the emissions from coal power plants are by far and away the biggest source of CO2 emissions. So it's not a war on coal but it's a war on power plants that are very bad in terms of emissions, which by implication means coal. But I don't think anybody's really picking on coal. It's just that's where the, that's the dirtiest source of energy. And his plan is going to push utilities to generate 28% of their power from renewables. Now, this target is different state by state. Some states are pretty far along the line. Some, some states are less. So it's, it's got a lot of flexibility in it. In terms of the flexibility... The biggest flexibility is that this plan encourages cap and trade on a national basis. So there's limitations that states would have or power plants would have on the amount of emissions they spew into the environment. And once they get past that, they either have to pay for those extra emissions or if they're generating extra savings, if they're very clean, they get credits on their emissions and they can trade those credits. Now, this is a process that worked really well 20 and 30 years ago to eliminate the problem that we had with acid rain in the Midwest and the East. I mean, there was a lot of power plants in the Midwest that were spewing sulfur dioxide, and that was causing acid rain, and it was really bad for the, the forests. The, the forests were dying. So they put a cap-and-trade program in place to limit the acid rain, and it worked. California, over the last five years, has put a cap-and-trade program in place to limit CO2 emissions. And guess what? It's working. It's working so well that there are billions of dollars flowing into the state's coffers. You never kind of hear that. It's like, wow, this is a lot of money. It's a big surprise. It's not the economy got better, although it did. It's that the cap-and-trade program is generating a lot of extra money. And this money is being used for low-income housing. It's being used for transportation. And, you know, there's lots of arguments in Sacramento right now about who gets to spend that money and what it's going to be used for. But it's fascinating how it's really working well. And what's also interesting is the utilities are not complaining anymore. They did at the beginning, but they met their targets. And now they're actually making money by trading the credits. The utilities that put in a lot of wind and solar are generating credits that they're able to trade and make more money. So it's kind of really, really interesting. The change that happened this year in 2015 is that the cap-and-trade started affecting transportation fuels. And it would mean that there's a small tax, effectively it's a tax, on gasoline because gasoline is a fairly dirty fuel. And, and that number works out to be, I think when I did the calculation, in the neighborhood of 10 cents a gallon. So people in California are now paying 10 cents a gallon more for their gasoline. We got very lucky that gasoline prices came down so much that that was just kind of lost in the overall reduction of gasoline prices. But this cap and trade is working. The other good thing about the clean power plan is that it's a really good step for the United States to start to mitigate global climate change. Now, a lot of people in the U.S., a lot of politicians have lots of people want really to make an impact on the global stage. But the U.S. has been criticized 
that we don't really have a national plan to reduce our greenhouse gases. And this will be one of the first times where the U.S. can say we really are putting in place a national plan to limit our greenhouse gases. Other countries have all over the world have done it, Europe, China, etc. Now that's going to allow us to take the global stage and we're also doing our part. So let's kind of dig into this clean power plan in a little bit more detail because it's a really big thing. So the big question is, is this plan going to accelerate our country's shift away from dirty fuels like coal, you know, natural gas is dirtier than uh, renewables, but it's going to shift us away from dirty fuels more towards renewable fuels with zero emissions. And the answer, which is interesting, is no. And I'm specifically talking about will the plan accelerate our shift? And accelerate means make the shift happen faster than it already is. What's interesting about the plan is that it's basically kind of keeping our current trends in terms of cleaner electricity generation, shift away from coal, shift towards renewable. It's going to keep kind of everything going at the same rate it's been going about for the last five years. Even with even on the side of renewables, we're not talking about in this plan of accelerating the rate of deployment of renewables. In other words, this plan won't increase the pace at which we're installing wind and solar. It's going to just keep it on the historic rate of growth, which is still pretty good. What's also interesting is it's mostly economic, but the trend of retiring coal plants is also going to basically continue at about the same pace. This plan is not going to suddenly say, boom, wipe out all the coal plants now, it's basically going to say, let's continue to retire them at the rate that we've been retiring them in the past. Now, it's easier to retire these plants now because the costs for wind and solar have plunged, so the alternative fuels are there. Natural gas is cheap, so utilities are putting in natural gas left and right, and the costs for coal have increased. So that's why Kind of the, the cause of the war on coal. The war on coal is happening mostly because of economic factors. Coal is more expensive. Wind and solar are cheaper. Natural gas is cheaper. And there are some environmental rules that are kind of making generation of electricity from coal even higher. So, you know, what's also interesting is we talked about money and politics As the coal industry has been rapidly downsizing, and, you know, it's unfortunate there have been so many bankruptcies of companies. I don't care what kind of company it is. It's a bummer when they're bankrupt because people lose their jobs. But the coal industry has been pretty rapidly downsizing. That means that the coal industry doesn't have as much money as they did 10 years ago to lobby for coal. So their lobbying cloud has gone down. And it's also interesting that coal is kind of starting to get this tobacco-like reputation It's like scaring away investors. It's scaring away people. And a really big factor in this whole thing has been the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign. And that was something that was kicked off by the Sierra Club. Michael Bloomberg made some big contributions there. And hundreds of coal plants are are being retired. When I kind of look at the the, the clean power plan from a high level, it looks like it was pretty carefully crafted to avoid creating new big enemies because those enemies are going to be lobbying extraordinarily hard against it. So utilities may not like it, 
but most of them have already complied. It's good for renewables, obviously. It's really bad for coal, but coal's cloud has kind of disappeared. And although cap-and-trade is termed as a tax, it's going to be a financial windfall. That's just really good. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Clinton's 500 million solar panels plan. It doesn't have a really catchy name yet, but 500 million is a pretty good number. So currently right now in the U.S., we've got 21 gigawatts. That's 21,000 megawatts of, of uh, solar capacity installed. And Clinton's plan by 2020, it's like you know, five and a half years away, is going to increase that to 140 gigawatts. The U.S. installed 6.2 gigawatts in the last full year of 2014. So, you know, the pace is growing and her plan would be the equivalent of having solar panels on the roofs of 25 million homes. Now, we're not going to be putting it on 25 million homes. There's going to be a lot of utility and commercial solar, but it's going to be the equivalent of the amount of power needed by those 25 million homes. And her plan also anticipates the ability, kind of going six years later, of powering every single home in the U.S. with renewables by 2026. So, you know, just imagine that in 10 years, there's going to be enough solar potential in renewables, wind and solar, in the U.S. to power every single home. That's horrific. Now, so let's kind of look at the growth rates. And here's kind of another situation where the growth rates are going to have to be about the same. The solar industry has been growing at about 32%, uh, 36%. It's been growing at 36% for the last five years or so. That's a really steady amount of growth. Now, the growth is easier when you're starting from a really small base. But when you've got – when you're installing six gigawatts and you want to grow another, you know, 36%, you got another two gigawatts. It kind of – the numbers start getting really big every time, every year. So in order to hit our plan – the solar industry is going to have to basically continue at about that growth rate. Green Tech Media did a calculation there. It's 32% from 2017 to 2020. So we just need to continue to grow at the same rate we've been growing. Now, the numbers get bigger, but the challenge we have in the solar industry is that there's some kind of bad things happening on the horizon. We have the sunset of the ITC at the end of 2016. So if that ITC goes away, suddenly solar goes up by 30% because the tax credit goes away. And that's going to hit everybody. So in order to hit this plan, we're going to need to continue with the ITC or find some other incentive. And it's going to be really hard to come up with an incentive that's going to be comparable to that, especially a new incentive. So it's a big, big push within the industry to extend the ITC. Secondly, we're going to need to continue net metering. I mentioned that there's some threats to net metering, but we'll kind of see how that goes. But that's net metering is going to have to be continued because that's the other big economic motivator for people. So that's candidate Clinton's plan. What about the Republicans? What are their plans? Well, they're not specific. It's generalized, no new taxes. We don't want any regulations. They're strongly in favor of fossil fuels and large energy businesses. They've sponsored a lot of bills to keep electricity cheap, to eliminate regulations, to protect rate payers. But it's really hard to figure out exactly, all right, so what are you going to do instead of what are you going to not do? The best comments I've seen really were from Speaker of the House Boehner. I'll just kind of read those really quickly. Speaker Boehner describes uh, Obama's clean power plan basically as nuts. He thinks it's an expensive, arrogant insult to Americans who are struggling to make ends meet. And he says that we can't afford this new national energy tax. He says that the plan ignores concerns that people have about jobs and complaining that this is going to slow the recovery. He's pointing out that under the models that are in the clean power plan, there are no benefits, but the costs are very real. It's going to destroy jobs and it's going to be irresponsible. 
Final comment is that the House Republicans understand that we can develop American energy and protect our environment, and we are committed to striking that responsible balance. We will continue to take steps to stop this national energy tax, protect workers, and lower energy costs for all Americans. So he's kind of spinning the plan as a tax, and what he really can't say is that Republicans don't want to lose funding from the fossil fuel industry, from the Koch brothers. You know, this last sentence you're talking about, he wants to stop this national energy tax. Well, California has this tax. It's doing great. He wants to protect workers. Well, we're creating a lot of workers in the renewable energy industry and lower energy costs. And I can tell you, anybody that has solar on the roof is going to say this is the cheapest source of energy they've ever had. So kind of the problem with these Republican energy plans is they ignore the climate change problems. They're be very beholden to the fossil fuel industry. And they seem to be more concerned about keeping utilities profitable than reducing consumer electric rates. Lots of arguments about jobs here and there. You know, we're going to lose jobs in the fossil industry, but they conveniently forget that there's jobs created on the renewable side. Now, some people say that the Republicans are against clean air and renewable energy. And I don't believe that when you talk about people on an individual basis. And they're not going to kind of come out as a party statement saying they're against clean air and renewable energy. Many Republicans, and by the way, I'm a Republican, are in favor of conservation, are in favor of energy independence, are in favor of clean energy, and are in favor of jobs. The real problem is the Republican politicians, especially now at the early stage of the presidential race when they're trying to get the nomination, is they're completely beholden to the incumbent energy industry. I mean, fossil fuels, utilities, they get paid a lot of money by groups like the Koch brothers who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure that politicians are elected that are going to be in favor of their industry's policies. What's interesting is that Democrats aren't really as biased by money on this issue. They just can't because there's just not that much lobbying money available for renewables. There is some, but it's just not. Now, I'm kind of embarrassed with this Republican platform, as I mentioned, and I kind of raise my hand meekly sometimes, but I'm a Republican in the, in the solar industry. And, you know, I really like to see what solar is doing for the economy, for energy, for jobs. But I don't always vote Republican because their policies are just like so wrong. So kind of in conclusion, key trends, see where we're at. What's going to happen, without a doubt, is there's going to be more and more renewables, solar and wind. These are going to be cheaper sources of energy, particularly solar. It's just going to continue to get less and less expensive gradually, not suddenly. There's going to be more and more people employed by the solar industry, and there's going to be a lot more voters that have solar on the roof are working in the solar industry or who have friends on solar and see how happy they are. So it's a virtual cycle. And this trend is going to continue. And, you know, we look at some of these other plans, it may may accelerate. On the other hand, in the fossil fuel industry, they're under a lot of cost pressures. The gas prices are low. Oil is cheaper. They're not making as much money pumping oil out of the ground. There's so much oil in the world right now. And with Iran coming online, we've been doing great in the U.S. with some new forms of oil production. But when you're pumping oil out of ground at, at 50 or $60 a barrel, and your costs are $50 a barrel, they're not making a lot of money. So the fossil fuel industry is under financial pressure. The utilities are also starting to be under financial pressure, um, and that pressure is going to continue to increase. So I think what's going to happen is the Republican Party is going to have to moderate their stance on renewables. This isn't going to happen now. It's going to happen as we get closer to the election. The influence that the Koch brothers has is going to kind of diminish a little bit as we get into the election because the Republicans aren't going to want to come out against all these jobs, against this clean energy, against the environment. So we're going to see a lot of changes. The Republicans aren't going to want to come out against 
even the Pope who was saying, hey, you know, we got an environmental problem and renewables are a good solution to that. So a lot's going to happen in the run-up to this election. And, you know, I'm pretty optimistic. I've got to be optimistic if I'm in the solar industry. But I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to see continued support and perhaps even more support, regardless of whether there's a Republican or a Democrat in the White House. We're going to see continued support for renewables just because it makes so much sense. Well, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. Thank you.